Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, January 15th, 2010. I'm Alana Rangi. Migraine headaches. I don't get them, but 30 million other people in the United States do. One in every 12 women in the U.S. suffer from migraines, and one in every six men. But one man who doesn't suffer from migraines is Rami Burstein. He's a Harvard Medical School professor and the senior author on a groundbreaking study on migraines published earlier this week in Nature Neuroscience. Burstein and his team set out to identify why migraine patients often experience light sensitivity and why light can make migraines worse. Studying blind people who suffer from migraines, they've discovered a new neural pathway between our eyes and the region of the brain commonly associated with migraines. I got Burstein on the phone from his office earlier this week to talk to me about his research. So, Rami, what is a migraine? A migraine is a headache that uh, usually affect one side of the head and sometimes both sides. What makes it unique is a long list of associated symptoms that usually do not accompany other headaches, such as throbbing pain, pain that gets aggravated when patients sneeze or cough or bend over or do anything that increases their intracranial pressure, nausea, vomiting, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise, sensitivity to smell, teary eyes, running nose, frequent yawning, frequent urination, a whole list of neurological symptoms that commonly accompany migraine headaches. And so what is it that makes migraine headaches so much more painful than, say, a headache from dehydration or, like, stress? We don't really know why migraine headache is is more painful than, for example, chronic daily headache or tension-type headache. It's uh, most likely not more painful than cluster headache, for example. But what makes migraine unique is that, unlike all other headaches, migraine is one of the only kind of headaches that we believe originates inside the head rather than outside the head. What does that mean, inside the head? What that means. Inside the head, there is one organ called the meninges, the dura and the pia, right, epidural, subdural, which is a kind of plastic bags that envelop the brain and they contain in them fluid that protects the brain. This plastic bag, or what we call the meninges, contain many pain fibers that send pain signals into the central nervous system. So we believe that what is characterized for migraine, or what is typical for migraine, is that it involves activation of pain fibers around intracranial blood vessels and the meninges, which makes this kind of headache unique. It is, uh, so it involves meningitis as the similar kind of headache because it starts in the meninges and the subdural hemorrhage that involves the head, that has blood that comes around the door and, act, and produce headache, or brain tumors that press on the meninges. They are different from headaches that originate outside the head, like in the scalp or muscles around the neck or muscles around the head. Okay, so that makes sense. Um, So how good are we at treating migraines right now? So this answer is divided to a few sections. 
most migrant patients take over-the-counter NSAIDs, go home, go to sleep, wake up, the migraine is gone. These patients, for most part, don't see, don't mention it to their physician, and uh, we never see them in a headache clinic or in a pain clinic or in the neurology office or in a or they hardly ever mention it to the primary care physician. 16 to 20, 25% of migrant patients don't get better by taking over-the-counter medication like, uh, like ibuprofen and uh, Naliv and uh, all the, all the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And they do mention it to their doctors. Many of these patients are greatly helped by drugs like the triptans, the serotonergic agonists like Imitrax, Maxel, Zomi, Relpax, Rovachip, and all those drugs that are, you know, it's the same drug, it's, in, it's being manufactured by different companies, but they are very effective for a large number of the migrant patients who seek clinical help for the migrants. And then there are many migrant patients who don't get help from anything. Hmm, okay. Um, and there are triggers that make all of these different levels of migraines worse, like light, which is what you studied. Um, so I want to know, up until now, what did we know about light sensitivity in migraines? So until now, you know, we are all busy people, and uh, when you see patient after patient, you don't have time to probe into anything specific. So because... Uh, migraine is so specific it has to fulfill certain criteria so we ask patients you have a headache yes is it on one side they say yes or no do you get nauseous yes no do you vomit yes no does the light bother you yes no does noise bother you yes no and we move on we write photophobia next to the light bother you phonophobia when the noise bother you and we move on we don't usually stop to think about what it means and because we are in academic medicine and we can afford the time to do that I got interested in the past few years in understanding better what it means when patients tell me that the light bothers them. Does it mean that they are abnormally sensitive to light all the time or during migraine, which should be similar to, uh, to you and me, walking outside into a sunny day after we've been for, spend much time in the dark and for like a few minutes or a few seconds, it's difficult for us to adjust to the light and open our eyes. And the light just is not comfortable. It, it's not hurting us, but it's not comfortable. That's one option. The other option that I asked them was, when you say you're sensitive to light, does it, what, does it, what does, it, does it mean that the light actually makes your headache feel worse, like it takes the pain intensity up by 10 or 20%? So the patient divided. Most of them said that light makes their headache worse by 20 or 30 percent. The minority said that they are just more sensitive to light, but the light does not make their headache worse. It's just not comfortable. So how did you come up with the idea to use blind patients in your study? So the question that I was asking after talking to the patient with normal eyesight was we tried to understand how is it that light can make pain feels worse, worse because what we know from what we know about the biology of the brain, usually visual pathways do not communicate with pain pathways. So it was kind of a puzzle that led many people to believe that migrant patients have all these crazy symptoms and this is one, one more of those symptoms that either they make up or makes no sense because otherwise how in the world would light, how would light take that out, how in the world? So the assumption I made at the time 
was that in order to understand it, we need to come up with basic answers. Do we need the eye to have sensitivity to light during mic? Do we need the optic nerve? Or do we not need any of those and it's just activation of pain fibers in the eye? Based on that, we decided to take patients who are totally blind, either those who don't have eyes or patients who still have their eyes but are totally blind. That, that's to say they can see anything, they can form any images, but they also can tell whether they are in a dark environment or in a light environment because their optic nerve does not transmit any signals about light into the brain because of stroke or degenerative degeneration of the optic nerve or because of inflammation or whatever the disease was. So we took these patients, we found them around the world and talked to them and found, found out that when patients are totally blind, light does not exacerbate their headache if they does not exacerbate their migraine. And along the process of collecting blind patients, we found something we were not aware at the time when we started the study. We identified a group of blind individuals who suffer migraine, but unlike the first group, their blindness is not total. They are legally blind, which means that they cannot see, they cannot generate any images However, although they cannot see, they can tell whether they are in the light or in the dark. They can sense light. So when you say that they can sense light, what does that mean? Do they see shadows or gray? If you close your eyes really tight and you are in a completely dark room and then somebody shine light on your eye, you will be able to notice the light even though your eyes are completely shut and you can't see anything. This is what it would feel like. Okay, so the blind people that could sense light, what did that mean for you? The two clues that we got from these patients were the following. Number one, unlike the first group, these patients, although they could not see anything, they were able to maintain their normal biological rhythms. They, their sleep-wake cycle was intact. Their melatonin suppression was intact. When light was shine on their eyes, the pupils constrict, called the light, uh, the pupillary light reflex. They knew when to eat and, uh, and the body temperature goes down at night, it goes up during the day. Their biological rhythms are intact, unlike the first group. Now, the next clue that we got was that for this blind patient, the second group, the light that they were most sensitive to was blue light. Blue light, what, what is blue light? What does that mean? What is, blue light, why blue, blue light means gray, means gray days with heavy clouds and the snowy days when the, when the light is mostly blue. What does that mean? That gave us the second clue. What we know today about these patients, which we know probably since the early 2000s, is that the, the patients in the, third, in, the, in the second group have eye diseases that are collectively fall under the under the category of degenerative retinal diseases. That's to say the classical photoreceptors, the rods and cones that usually degenerate, that usually mediate our day vision and night vision, they have, degen have degenerated. They no longer exist, and therefore they cannot see. However, what they have is they have, they have which we all do, a third group of retinal photoreceptors 
called melanopsin. These receptors are sensitive preferentially to the blue light. Now, we all, we all have these receptors. For us, it doesn't matter much. For people with normal eyesight, with intact eyesight, because we have all three classes of photoreceptors, receptors that can detect light. But for the blind patient in the second group, the only receptor that was left was the melanopsin photoreceptor. So from this group, we learned that we have to follow projections from the eye to the brain that originate in photoreceptors that do not play a role in visual perception, but play a role in what we call today non-image forming functions, like sleep-wake cycle, like melatonin suppression, like pupillary light contraction, and so forth. Based on that, we had a very clear hypothesis to test, which we felt was testable. And the hypothesis was that projections that this third group of photoreceptors, the melanopsin photoreceptors, send their axons, they are, they are called retinal ganglion cells that contain melanopsin. And the hypothesis was that these cells send their axons to brain areas that are activated during migraine. So in the first set of studies, we injected dyes into the eye. In, into the eye of people, or? We, at that point, we shifted into rats, to animal models of migraine that we have. Okay, so when you create an animal model of a migraine, how do you induce a migraine in rats? Ex- excellent question. So we have no idea whether <laughs> the rats have a migraine or not, and none of us is so irresponsible as to claim that the rats feel migraine. <laughs> Based on what I told you at the beginning, that of all headaches, migraine originates inside the head. We have a model where we drop on the meninges a mixture of few inflammatory molecules and leave it there for five minutes. And that is enough to trigger the activation of the pain pathways that are activated during migraine in the brain. Ah. So we do that and we know that uh, from behavioral studies and from electrophysiological studies that putting a drop of inflammatory molecules, few molecules on the meninges for five minutes, will activate the same pathway that we believe is activated during migraine in humans. So we know where, are, where the neurons are that are activated during migraine inside the brain. And our hypothesis was that the third class of photoreceptors in the eye send their axons to an area in the brain, at least one area in the brain, that contain the neurons that are activated during migraine. So we injected few dyes into the eye and followed and let the animal survive for a few days. And uh, at that point, these dyes were taken by these photoreceptors and transported along their axons into the, into the brain. And as we followed them, we found that they made contact, okay? They made the synaptic contact or they, they communicated directly with neurons that are activated during migraine in one area of the brain that is called the thalamus. And the surprise part of it was that this area was known to play a role only in sensory perception, like in touch, heat, cold, pain, 
but not in vision, which define it as a new visual pathway in the brain. Wow, so your hypothesis was right, and you kind of got a surprise on top. So the anatomy was right. Then the next part, we wanted to know, okay, just because light reaches this area, light signals, it doesn't mean that it changed the activity of the neuron cell. So at that point, we inserted in live animals that are anesthetized, like in the operating room in the hospital with humans. We anesthetized the animals and inserted small electrodes inside into the neurons that uh, are activated during migraine in this brain, in this area of the brain called the thalamus, and trigger the activation of this pathway just like in migraine. And the activity of the neurons went from zero to let's say five. I'm just giving you a number. And at that point, we shine light on the eye. When we shine light on the eye. The activity of the neuron went from 5 to something like 7 or 8 or 9 or 10. The activity, the electrical activity of the neuron increased significantly, which would explain how light would intensify the headache. And the, the, and the light was capable of increasing the electrical activity of the neurons that are activated during migraine within one or two seconds or even shorter, like milliseconds. Which would explain to us very well why migrant patients tell us that their headache intensifies seconds after they're exposed to light. However, when we turn off the light in the room, the activity of the neurons did not return to baseline for nearly 30 minutes, which would explain to us why migrant patients tell us that when they go to a dark room, the headache does not improve for 30, 30 to 60 minutes. So the immediate onset of exacerbation of headache by light and the immediate activation of the neurons by light goes, well, hand-to-hand. They correlate very well. And so does the delayed inhibition by dark and the delayed improvement in in headache intensity when patients go to the dark. Wow, so that's quite a discovery. Scientifically, what made this study uh, interesting, it uh, points to a clinical paradox How is it that a blind patient can be sensitive to light? That's number one, which got a lot of media attention. The other thing is that it it uncovered a new visual pathway in the brain. The third part, which I don't take easily, I think it's very important, is that migraine affects mostly women. It has a stigma. It has a lot of social stigma. People don't come out easily and say, I have a migraine. It's related to losing their work and not functioning at home and a lot of the and and it is associated with many symptoms that we don't understand and therefore with many many in a society tend to blame this patient of coming up with crazy things that really make little sense so when we come up with a neurological explanation for how and why light makes the headache worse it helps patients to feel better about themselves. Don't make it up. It's real. Okay, so what does this mean for treatment options? Does it give us any new ideas about how to treat migraines or light sensitivity? No. There are, no. So two things. Number one, it has nothing to do with our ability to abort the migraine headache itself. It's not related to that. Number two, in order to eliminate the sensitivity to light during migraine, we will have to identify the, molecule, the molecules that are involved in a communication between the visual pathways and the migraine pathways, which we have not done yet. And we will also have to identify the receptors on the receptor on which these molecules act. 
if we find these two, we might be able to come up with a drug that can block this communication. Right, so no special sunglasses or anything to block out the light. I saw it on the internet and it's scary. Here is what it is. I told you that the blue light is specifically responsible for the for the exacerbation of, of headache in the blind patients. We have no clue that this is the case in patients with normal eyesight. In fact, most likely it is not true because all photoreceptors are intact in patients with normal eyesight. The likelihood is that it will be all spectrum of the light rather than the blue light. Nevertheless, as soon as we came up with this story, I see on the internet three things. Eyeglasses for sale that filter out the blue light that will eliminate it. Contact lens that filter out the blue light and will eliminate the the migraine or the worsening of the headache and LASIK surgeries. Everything is coming out that says, here, you spend the money on filtering out the blue light and it will help you. For people with normal eyesight, I don't, it is not the case. And if it is, we don't have any evidence for that. Therefore, I would, I'm trying to send a message, which I can't by now, because I can say what I say, but the media writes what they write. I'm trying to send message out, don't run and buy these eyeglasses, because most likely you will waste your money prematurely, and we have no idea that, that's what, that it will help you. Well, that is really good to know. I'm really glad that you made that point. Don't go on the internet and buy blue sunglasses, blue blocking sunglasses. Um, Rami, thank you so much for taking the time today to tell me about your research. Don't miss the rest of the Science in the City Girls' Night Out series. We've got four more fantastic, smart, and compelling women scientists coming to wow you in the next few months. For all you need to know, log on to www.nyas.org slash girlsnightout. Science in the City is a non-profit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. We need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our events and our website. For more information on Academy membership and to support Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org slash donate. As always, if you have any feedback about our show, you can send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or you can always leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.